vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching, proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about the point of piano exams. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. Great to be with you again. So today we're talking about piano exams, and I want to say right away that I think you should bear with me even if you never do them. Almost especially if you never do them, because I think it's important to take into consideration different perspectives, different ways of doing things around the world. So too often, piano exams are something that we do by default or don't do by default. And it largely depends on where you are. For instance, in Ireland, it's pretty usual to do piano exams every year. That's what I did growing up. In the UK and Australia, New Zealand, and to a certain extent, Canada, that's true as well. You just sort of, that's the standard. There are teachers who don't do exams, but they're more the exception. Whereas in the US, piano exams are a lot less usual. This shows up in our survey, by the way. We do have data on this. So in the US, the number of teachers who said their students never do exams was almost 72% of our survey participants. Almost 22% said sometimes and only 6% said every year. So that, if you look at the survey, by the way, you can find that at colourfulkeys.ie slash report. There's loads of great data in there about the industry. But if you look at it, you'll see that the almost the inverse is true for the rest of the world. If you are in the US and you're thinking exams aren't relevant, or you're not in the US and you're thinking, yeah, they have to do exams, let's question that. Let's pause and reflect on it together. Because here's the thing. I don't think you believe that children in the US are biologically different, biologically unsuited to exams, where students in, let's say, Ireland are biologically suited to them, or even culturally. I think it's just a norm and we just fall into these routines and we just do them because that's what's done. I know a pet peeve of piano teachers everywhere um, is when they tell people what they do, like when they're asked, oh, what do you do for a living? And they say they're a piano teacher. The person might reply, yeah, yeah, that's lovely. What's your real job? Or, oh, that that sounds fun. What a great hobby. And that's not actually what I hear the most often. What I hear all the time is, oh, yeah, great. So you do the grades. That's what it's called in Ireland, the grades, meaning piano exams, standard piano exams. But it's just like so much a default of what we do that they think it's just the next logical question to ask. And they are assuming I'll say yes. If I said no, they'd say, oh, right. So what style of music do you teach? They would assume I'm not teaching classical music if I don't do the grades, quote unquote. Yeah, I just come back to this question. Are the children different? Are the students different, whatever their age? No. There are cultural differences, but really, they're speaking the same language. They're largely from similar countries in many ways. There's nothing to say that one should do an exam and one shouldn't just based on where they grew up. So then we're left with the question, should everyone not do exams? Should everyone do exams or is there somewhere in between? You may have guessed it from the way I phrased the question, but I think there's a middle ground to be found. In my studio, where we found it is doing exams defaulting to not exams, I guess, 
but asking the question for each student at different stages. So we do, we have more students that won't do an exam each year than that will. We have a handful do exams every year and it will be different students each year. There's only one student in my studio right now who really loves and is suited to doing them every single year. That gives you some sense of where I stand. I think we all need to ask that question because there are pros and cons. There are benefits to exams. We shouldn't just throw them out the window. There's a reason they have come to be accepted in large parts of the world, but they also shouldn't be our default mode. So what I want us to look at is three different areas, three different reasons that teachers or students or parents will give for doing piano exams, what we can learn from those, whether they're valid, and what we can learn from those to apply to each individual student where we're asking ourselves that question. So the first reason that's often given is for motivation. I'd say that's the most common answer. It's motivating, it keeps them moving, it keeps them progressing. But does it? The logic to this argument goes like this. A student is put in for a piano exam. You apply for an exam on their behalf. And they're given a deadline or an exam period or a date straight away. So the student, therefore, pushes themselves to learn the pieces and scales and prepare for the tests that are on that syllabus in order to be ready for this deadline. The reality, and I say this with years and years of experience at this stage with this system, is that a student has very poor practice habits. Then the student is put in for an exam in order to increase their motivation to practice. The student still doesn't practice because they weren't practicing anyway, And then three or four weeks before the exam, the student panics, the teacher yells at them, and they all try to cram together. The student probably passes, but with a kind of low mark, and feels even less motivated, even less sure of themselves than they were in the first place. I'm sorry to be so harsh about this, but I've seen it happen so many times. It just doesn't work. And parents will come to you with this when their child is not practicing if you live in a country like Ireland or the UK or one of the others I mentioned. It will happen. But when parents come to you with this argument, consider replying in the way that I do, which is that I acknowledge people often think about this and it makes sense. People often think about it this way around. They think that if we put them in for an exam, then they'll practice. But the opposite is true. If they're practicing, then they can be put in for an exam. Exams do not cure a lack of motivation or a lack of a good practice routine. That is something that needs to happen before we put ourselves in for one. Piano exams can be motivating, but they can be motivating for students who are already consistently practicing. And then these kiddos will often push themselves a little bit harder in those few months that they prepare for that exam. It's not going to be the difference between no practice and practicing consistently. It's going to be the difference between practicing consistently for like 20 minutes a day and then increasing that to 30 to 40 minutes a day for the exam period. That's a realistic possible expectation, but no practice to practice doesn't happen because of an exam. The next motivation for exams is for self-confidence. And this is one that can be valid with certain students. It's less common as a reason, right? But when it is a reason and it comes from a good place, it can be a valid one, I think. 
This is when a student who is really unsure of themselves, they just feel like I'm just not good enough. I'm not sure if I'm at the right level and no amount of the teacher telling them that they're doing well is getting through. Sometimes that student can get a lot of validation from seeing a piece of paper from an examiner that says that they did well. So again, the student needs to be already practicing and already at that level and they probably need to be put in for a grade that is easily manageable for them. But for those more rare cases where they're really struggling from a lack of self-confidence and their teacher's remarks aren't getting through to them, this can be a valid motivation. Finally, we're going to deal with my least favorite reason for taking piano exams. So where the first two are semi-valid in certain circumstances, the third one is just not a good reason in my view. I'm going to be upfront about that. And this is the argument of doing piano exams for well-roundedness or for the sake of having a curriculum, for the sake of having a planned out sequence, right? That you learn these scales and these pieces and you're progressing for the sake of making progress in, in a way. Any of those arguments, whatever way we phrase it, I am irritated by. I'm going to be honest with you. And there are three reasons why I hate this argument for piano exams. Number one, if you want to call piano exams well-rounded, you are so incredibly mistaken. The syllabi are narrow, all of them. Some are more varied than others, but basically they include four things pretty consistently. You've got pieces, which will be Baroque, Classical, Romantic, a smattering of more modern works sometimes. Then you've got scales that will be covered <laughs> on every syllabus. And some of them will do things like chord progressions and things, but I'm going to put that in that category. Then you've got sight reading and oral tests. Pausing for dramatic effect. Do you think that's all there is to piano? Really? A narrow list of repertoire, even if it's a fairly extensive list, still narrowed into things that work for an exam setting. Scales, sight reading, and oral or ear training. That's it. That does not make a well-rounded musician. That's not enough. So even within those confines, though, even if you think those four things are good enough for a pianist, most of them are not really covered. The pieces are. You'll end up practicing those properly. But the sight reading is not always a realistic representation of what you might actually sight read because they're specimen tests, right? They're short. And so they need to increase in difficulty without taking up any more time in the exam. That's the key to it that I realized as I got to grade seven or eight because they just got totally bonkers. I mean, they sounded, you never knew if you were playing them right, even when you were, like even when I went back over them to practice them to make sure I got it, I'd be like, well, I mean... I guess it is right, because I'm going to trust my reading, but... <laughs> because they have to get harder within two, three, four lines of music. Then you've got the ear training. That is very limited in scope. It will be just a few tests. I mean, for example, if you're not familiar with exams at all, in ours you need to do sight singing, then singing back a melody, and you need to do clapping back and clapping at sight. So that's four things. They're like 1% each. And then you have observations that they play a piece. This is probably the best part. They play a piece and they ask a few questions about it based on the student's level. So at the beginner sort of levels, it'll just be, were there louds and softs? Or was the start loud or soft kind of thing? Or was it quick or slow? That kind of thing. 
Even the scales, which are one of the more substantial elements of an exam, what the examiner wants to see are the right notes and the right fingerings and a decent speed. They don't care, in my experience, if the student plays with good technique, as in like, they're not really going to be playing fine-tuned detail too if the student's wrists are like down on the floor. They won't take a mark off for that, as far as I've been able to tell. It really is just a technical exercise, it's never technique, that section. The second reason why I hate this argument of well-rounded or because of the syllabus or any of those is because the preparation is also is always entirely skewed. So let's pretend the list above is great. Those four things are great. And what's within those four things is what should be covered. Well, we're still left with this problem that teachers and students, because of time constraints, I understand all of this. Like I've been through the system. But because of all of this, you'll focus on the pieces for most of that time. And then you'll give the scales a look in most weeks or every week, depending on your style, and cover them as best as you can. But the sight reading and the oral, in most lessons, you're lucky if you get to do those like three weeks out from the exam. And I've had quite a few teachers, like that's the standard, and I've heard it from other teachers as well. Now, there are teachers who will cover those things properly. I understand that. I'm just saying, if you just take the exam syllabus, that's what will likely happen. Even when they are gotten to in those last three weeks, you're also looking at the pieces and the scales and everything else. So what actually happens is they just do the specimen tests, like they just do the example tests with their students. And if they don't do well on them, they correct them, tell them to work on it or give them a quick idea of how to fix the problem. And that's it. That's not teaching. That's just testing, giving some vague feedback and moving on because that's all you have time left to do at this stage. And the final element of this argument that is the reason I, I've sounded a bit cross this whole time <laughs> is because it's lazy. Honestly, it's lazy. The reason teachers want to say that they're following an exam syllabus so that students will have well-rounded lessons or so that they'll cover everything or so that they'll progress is just laziness or that they're the, at the beginning stages of their teaching and they really don't know any better. That's fine. I'm not giving it to any of you. <laughs> But if you do stick rigidly to an exam syllabus, as I have seen with so many teachers when I attend local events, they will say things like, "Ah, oh, yeah, but it's just easier, isn't it? I'm sorry, that's not a good enough answer. That's not good enough. Students deserve better than that. They deserve better than it's easier. Honestly, teachers deserve better. Because this lazier route, as I'm calling it, is also the most boring. And that's true most of life, right? If you take the lazy option, it's usually the most boring one. On holidays, no. The lazy option of lying on the beach might not be boring to you. You can watch the sky. That's lovely. But in general, in work, the lazy option is also the least satisfying. So instead, if you decide to take those reins back and make the decisions about what your students learn and how and why, you will have a more rich and enjoyable musical journey. And so will they. So that argument of well-roundedness, I hope I've dissuaded you from it if you were inkling that direction, especially if you're coming from a system country where exams are not the norm and you're thinking, oh, that does sound good because they would tell me what students need to learn and that would be comforting because I'd know they're on the right track. I get all those instincts. I get how we fall into this. But the thing is, the exam centers, 
the boards that provide these exams, they call them a syllabus. It is an exam syllabus. They do not call it a curriculum, and it is not one. It is not supposed to be everything. I am not here to give out about the exam boards or say that the syllabus should be different. What I'm actually saying is it should just be a test of what your student already knows and your curriculum, what you decide to teach them, whatever format that comes in, that should be coming from somewhere else. That shouldn't be taken from a syllabus. That's working backwards instead of forwards. So there you have it. My two valid reasons for taking exams, putting students forward for exams, and one that I think is entirely invalid, but I hope that gives you an overview of the point of piano exams as I see them and why I still use them sometimes with my students. Your one thing this week is to step back and think about your own experience and how it has led you to have the view on exams that you do now. Perhaps it just wasn't the norm where you grow up and so you have never considered them for your students. Or perhaps you did them and loved them so you've never considered not doing them with your students. I'm not here to tell you what to do. All I want you to do is contemplate how your own experiences have influenced the stance you take now. I would love to hear your thoughts on this sometimes hot button topic. You can find me on Instagram at Colorful Keys, or you can comment on the article that goes along with this episode on the Colorful Keys blog. See you there and see you next week. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up.